Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right, if you have a Bible, uh, open up with me to John chapter 16 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We are in John chapter 16 this morning. We finished our verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Timothy, and I was praying about, Lord, where you want us to go, and I had a couple books in mind, uh, but, but I really feel like the Lord led me to do a seven-week series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to do a seven-week series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. This isn't typical for us. We don't do a lot of topical teaching, but we are going to take seven weeks, and we're going to learn about the forgotten God, the Holy Spirit. And I've entitled this sermon series, Church on Fire, Church on Fire. What I, what I don't mean by church on fire is a literal church on fire. That's not what I mean by that. I, I also uh, I don't, mean, I don't mean this up here, a cool uh, building filled with people and a hot worship band with lights and all that. That's also not what I mean by church on fire. We can confuse that in our culture today, so I just want to make sure we understand what we're talking about here this morning. Um, when I say church on fire... I mean to say people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and who are allowing him to work in their lives, who are living in the empowerment of the Spirit of God like these guys were 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they became witnesses for Jesus Christ. And we are here today as a result of that. That's what I mean by church on fire. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, after he had risen from the dead, if he showed himself, he appeared to many people. After, in fact, he had sealed them, his disciples with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. It was after that. Remember, he blew his breath upon them. John chapter 19, where he blew his breath of life onto them, the same breath that was breathed into Adam at creation. The Ruach, the breath of God, He is the life, the same breath that is 2 Timothy 3.16. God, the word of God is God breathed that breath, that same breath. He breathed upon his disciples. They were sealed with the Holy Spirit in that moment. But then listen to what he says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his disciples that it wasn't enough for them to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but they needed to have the filling of the Holy Spirit, or what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say baptism of the Holy Spirit, I already know many of you have a different picture of what that means, and how do I know that? Because we, when we do our ministry applications... We have a lot of people, that's one of the questions. Describe to us what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. And uh, 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 what we mean to say by that is, is not the sealing of the Holy Spirit, not when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you to live upon salvation, uh, but what we mean by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what I think the Bible means by that concept or the filling to be being filled, the continual filling of the Holy Spirit, we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. There will be an empowerment that will come upon you. He's already in you. But yet there will be a subsequental empowerment by the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. And so we see what that baptism or that filling of the Holy Spirit looks like one chapter later. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we read, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And... Divided tongues as of fire appeared upon them and rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Listen, in this moment, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, super important you understand that, that he came upon them, and they began to speak in languages that were not their languages. They didn't know these languages, but they were languages. They were native languages to all the people who had been there to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost there. They were there to celebrate that. And they heard their native languages being spoken in an upper room. And they thought, what in the world is going on? And I'm sure the disciples wondered the same thing. You know, they're like, what in the world? I'm speaking another language. I'm speaking a language that I don't even understand, but these words are coming out of my mouth, and yet all of a sudden this crowd began to gather, and they heard, listen, they heard the public speaking in tongues. They heard them extolling God, praising God. Uh, the, the, the public expression of the gift of tongues, we'll get into this later, is praise to God. It's from man to God. It's not from man to man. It's from man to God. That's what we see in the scriptures. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that later, but that's what they heard, and guess what happened? Because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people got saved in that moment after Peter gave the gospel. The, whole, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit became sort of a catalyst to open up the door for, these, for, for Peter to stand up and tell people about Jesus. It was not... And I, I, I clarify this, it was not so that everybody thought Peter and the gang were super special people. It wasn't because, uh, you know, it was the way that they got saved. It had nothing to do with that. What it had to do with was getting people who were, who were caught up in their religiosity to think for a moment by this miraculous thing that was going on that they could hear the gospel and that's the purpose of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He said in Acts chapter 1, a power will come upon you so that you can become what? Famous? No, witnesses. Witnesses. So that you can become witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that you can participate in God's work on this earth. And, and, and don't think for a moment, that's not a miraculous work. That's why the Holy Spirit has to come upon us, because it's a miraculous thing. But that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon people. They, 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 they have giftings that they don't normally have, or they have um, some knowledge that they don't normally have. They have extraordinary wisdom in a, in a moment that they don't know. Hey, listen, uh, if you get any wisdom from me, it's all the Holy Spirit, because it has nothing to do with me. My wife will attest to that. She's like, yeah, he's not super smart. But um, the reality of it is, is it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to understand this. Do you, do you know what is missing in the church today, folks? I know you know the answer to it, but I'll tell you anyway. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the working, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the church, and now some of you are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't get crazy here, buddy. Once you start doing crazy stuff in this place, don't you worry, we won't. <laughs> but what we will do is we'll allow room here in this room. We'll allow the Lord to do what he wants to do. The Holy Spirit is, is the key to the church being a witness to the world. And it's something that probably many of us don't even think about on a daily basis. Probably don't think about, Lord, I need to be empowered by your spirit to go and do your work. What did Jesus say in Acts 1.8? I think he said, don't go out into the world until you are empowered. Shouldn't we be begging on our knees, Lord, empower me today as I go out into the world? Fill me with your spirit so that I can be a witness for you, God. Help me, Lord, to, I want to I fulfill the great commission. The Great Commission cannot be fulfilled apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. 
it, it's interesting, A.W. Tozer, I love him, he, he, he lived up until I think 1963, he was born in the late 1800s, and I love, or I love his, um, his, his just heart for God and heart for the Holy Spirit, but he said this about the church, he saw this coming back in the 50s, and he said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. That's an indictment, folks. This didn't just happen overnight. This has been happening. This is a spiritual attack on on people who are redeemed, who, who have the sealing of the Holy Spirit, who are going to heaven, but now they're, the enemy has distracted us from thinking that we can, in some way, shape, or form, fulfill our ministry apart from the Holy Spirit. He is the great deceiver. And, you know, it, it's interesting. That is really what's happening in our culture today. We're not walking in the Spirit of God. We're walking in the flesh, and then we're saying, Here, God, now bless it. It's not the way it works. Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. And there is a major neglect of the Holy Spirit in many churches today. There's an incredible abuse of the Holy Spirit in many churches today as well, but... In my opinion, there's far more neglect that is happening in the church today. In the introduction of his book, Forgotten God, Francis Chan says, the benchmark of success in church services has become more about attendance than the movement of the Holy Spirit. The entertainment model of church was largely adopted in the 1980s and 90s, and while it alleviated some of our boredom for a couple of hours a week, it filled our churches with self-focused consumers rather than self-sacrificing servants attuned to the whole Holy Spirit. What a great way to build a church, huh? Let's do that. Let's tell people that, uh, you know, that it's not about them. It's not about, you know, you and what you like. And, oh, can you do these worship songs? Because I like those worship songs. Or can you, can you teach this kind of stuff? Because I like that better. Or, or do you have these programs? Because those fit my family better. Is, it, is that what it's about? Why do we make it about that? You know, it's bothered me for years about the way that we do church. Because what we're doing is, and in fact, we as an eldership have prayed over this a long time. Lord, we do not want to contribute to the problem of this modern church thing. We don't want to contribute to producing consumers. We want to make disciples we want people to step into their ministry and serve the Lord. And we've prayed over and over about this situation because it is a real issue. Listen, if, I would, I would, if you know any pastors or, you know, I, I would, I would I just, I dare you to go and ask, pull a hundred pastors and ask them, how many servants do you have in your church? You have a thousand people in your church. How many people serve? It's very few. It's very few, folks. And in fact, the bigger that a church gets, sometimes the harder it gets. Because the more people you have, the more servants you need. And in our culture, if we continue to walk into this path of producing consumers and not teaching people what the Bible says about serving Christ and about making your life a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him, which is your reasonable service... If we don't teach people about these kinds of things, then we're going to continue to fall into that pattern. All of this comes back to one thing. It's really simple. Walking in the Spirit of God. It's walking in the Spirit of God. He is, is the, the key to us uh, moving forward in what God wants to do in our midst and in our personal lives. This leads me to, to John chapter 16 in verse 7, where here, here's what Jesus said here about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 6, in verse 7, Nevertheless, 
I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, nevertheless, when you start a sentence in the Bible like that, you got to put some context within the scope of what you're talking about in that particular verse. Listen, this is Jesus on the night he's betrayed. This is Jesus talking to his disciples on the night he's betrayed. He's already laid out from John chapter 13 on all these different things that they need to be thinking about. He's been telling them that there's going to be persecutions that are going to come. Nevertheless, they need to continue to serve. He's mentioned the Holy Spirit a couple times. But he, he gets to a point here in this passage where he tells them that, you know, there's going to, they're, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. They're going to persecute you. They're going to do these things. But nevertheless, he said, that's the context of what he's saying here. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Now, if you're his disciple, what are you thinking? I don't think I agree with you, Jesus. I don't think that's a good idea. We don't want you to go away, Jesus. We want you to stay here. We want you to institute your kingdom. We want you to do all these things that we want you to do. We do not want you to go away. Do you think that's maybe what they were thinking? I can promise you they had no idea what he was talking about when he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. That word advantage right there, it literally means to be better off. It's better off for you that Jesus go away. What does he mean, go away? Well, of course, he means three different things. He means go away by way of crucifixion, bury into a tomb to rise again from the dead, and then to ascend into heaven. That's what he means by go away. Now, my guess is that his disciples may disagree with that statement that it was better for them that he go away. But I wonder how many in this room right now would choose the physical presence of Jesus Christ over the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life? Only you can answer that question. But how many times have you thought that if only I could walk with Jesus, if only I could listen to his teaching, if only I could have sat around in that inner circle, been there on that Mount of Transfiguration, watched him feed 5,000 people, then I would do more. Wrong. Wrong. How do we know it's wrong? Because Jesus said it's wrong. Jesus said it's to our advantage that he go away. Do you trust the Lord? Do you believe that he knows better? Do you believe that what he was giving was something far greater than maybe you can even anticipate? Maybe you've ever even experienced in your life. The answer to all of those is yes. Jesus knows what's best for you. And he's saying what's best for his disciples, what's best for the New Testament church, is for the New Testament church to be empowered with the same spirit he was empowered with. And we remember at his baptism when the Holy Spirit fell on him was the sign. That was the picture of what would happen to you and I as we became believers, as we were baptized into his death, risen to newness of life, that we too would have the sealing of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing us heaven. But not only that, but then the descending Spirit of God upon our life to empower us to go do the work of God. The ministry. It's to your benefit that I go away. According to the Bible, the Holy Spirit is a number of things. He is the helper. He is the comforter. He is the advocate. He is the teacher. He is the guide or the coach. He is our empowerment. There's many, many more things the Holy Spirit is. These are just a few things. That sounds pretty advantageous to me. However, 
to many, we totally neglect the thought about the Holy Spirit in general. And so my goal in this series is to provoke within you to think about how am I relating to the Spirit of God? How am I allowing the Spirit of God to work in my life? Um, what are the things that the, the Spirit of God wants to do in my life that I'm not allowing Him to do? If the Holy Spirit hadn't descended upon the church, we wouldn't be here today, folks. Probably. God, the disciples would have never gone out. Because when they went out, it was going to cost them everything. You understand that? They were leaving everything to follow Jesus Christ. For us in our culture, we can believe in Jesus. We can have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we can do nothing for the Lord. And we can sit quietly back and wait for God to come and get us. I, I would say that you're probably not going to be super, super content and comfortable in those moments. If you truly have the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to be convicted about what he's calling you to do. And so many people are in that place. They don't know what to do. I want to do more, Lord. I don't know what to do. So what do we do? The Holy Spirit is your helper. He is your comforter, your advocate, your teacher, your guide, your empowerment. We go to the Holy Spirit. We ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to me what it is that you have for me. It's, it's really a kind of a surrender to the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, whatever, whatever you want to do in my life, I surrender to you and I will follow you wherever you call me to go. Jesus said that it was to your advantage. So my hope is that you will see that by the end of the seven weeks. Let me ask you a question here real quick. How many of you believe that your lives would be radically different if Jesus were to walk with you physically on a daily basis? How many of you guys believe that your life would look different? Nobody? Um, I think everybody's hand should be up. My life would look probably radically different, and I think probably yours would too. Why? Because, you know, there is that, the power of presence in our life when a person that we respect or somebody that we, we want to look good in front of, that power of presence in our life that changes the way that we do things, the things we say, how we react in certain situations. And I promise you, Jesus would command that from you. You wouldn't have to do anything, and you would just be like, oh, man, I want to I look good in front of this guy, right? I wonder how quickly you would forgive others, how differently you might treat people, how much more patient you might be, what you would allow in your homes, the things you watch, the things you read, the language you use. Would you be a better employee? Would you get to work on time? Would you take your breaks exactly as you should? Would you share the gospel more? Would you read your Bible more? Would you take bigger steps of faith? Would you spend your money differently? Would you find yourself, uh, you know, doing things differently? My guess is you would. And that should wreck us a little bit. That should wreck us in a beautiful way. Because that tells us something. Lord, I'm not fully surrendered and I need to surrender more to you. I need to give myself over to you more. I need to give myself over to the Spirit of God. Listen, He's inside of you. And He's God. Just like Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And He's with you every place you go. He hears every word you say. He knows everything you think. You're bare and naked before the Spirit of God who is in you. And you can grieve Him and you can quench Him. Now, either Jesus is a liar or it was to our advantage that He go away. And I would suggest it's the second part. 
So that means we, for not walking in the empowerment of the Spirit, that means two, either two things. We are rejecting what the Spirit of God wants to do in our life, or we have a misunderstanding. We don't understand what it is that we have in the Spirit of God. And so let's consider two things about the Holy Spirit this morning. Number one, the person of the Holy Spirit, and secondly, the work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit first. He's a person. Contrary to popular belief, the Spirit of God is a person. He's not an it. He, he is a he. He's not some impersonal force that has no traits of being a person. Jehovah Witnesses will say that the Spirit of God is just, just, it's just God's active force in your life. And he has no bearing whatsoever on anything you do. It's just God blowing his power on you. No, that is not right. The Spirit of God is a person. He has traits of a person. Three different traits the Holy Spirit has. Number one, he has a mind. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He is a mind that develops thoughts that then become groans and utterances for us when we have no words to pray. That's what Paul said right before this verse. The Spirit intercedes for us. Literally, he stands in the gap for us. We not only have, listen, one advocate, but we have two. We not only have Jesus as our advocate, but we also have the Spirit of God, who is our advocate making intercession for us. Last time I checked, an impersonal force can't make intercession for you. Because he has no mind, but the Spirit of God has a mind. So he can make intercession for us. Secondly, he has emotion. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When you and I, when we sin, we literally grieve the Holy Spirit. We make him sad. We make him sorrowful. We, we make him distressed. And as a parent, I get that. It grieves me when I see my kids fall into sin because I know the end result of it. Destruction, death even. And it makes me sad and sorrowful and distressed. That's a response a person would have. The Holy Spirit is a person. Therefore, we can grieve him. Lastly, the Holy Spirit has a will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. He's speaking about the distribution of spiritual giftings. And it's according to the Spirit of God that he distributes those gifts. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, says the same thing, that he has a will. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The Holy Spirit is the giver and the distributor of all spiritual gifts as he wills. So, you better watch out. You better not cry. <laughs> Whatever the rest of that song is, I'm telling you why. We can get that idea, can't we, that the Holy Spirit's kind of like Santa Claus. And man, if we're naughty... We're not going to get these certain spiritual gifts. And man, if we're so nice, we're going to get the, the big spiritual gifts. Wrong. That's not the way it works. The Holy Spirit has a will to give you and distribute giftings upon your life that fit within the bigger picture of the will of the Father in your life. So what the Holy Spirit does is he, he knows the mind of God. He searches the deep things of God. He knows the Father's will for you. He knows the plan the Father has for you. And so he, at the right moment, he gives you the giftings that you need to fulfill the will of God in your life. And I would suggest that that says a lot about spiritual gifts. That it's not so much about how well you're doing, but it's more along the lines of what God is doing in your life and what he wants to accomplish through you. 
And so we'll, we'll get into all of that in a little bit here. Not today, but in our series, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts and how that all works. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just the force of God, but he's the person of God. He's not just the other guy in the Trinity. He is equal with Jesus Christ and the Father. The Holy Spirit is as much God as God the Father is God and Jesus Christ is God. And sometimes I think we forget that. He is divine. And you know what? Jesus then left us in good hands, didn't he? He left us in God's hands. Well, not only are many people confused about the person of the Holy Spirit, but also the work of the Holy Spirit. Some people are extremely afraid of the works of the Holy Spirit. When I was a kid, I grew up being told, we didn't go to church or anything, by the way. It's just so weird how the devil works in people's lives. But I grew up being told by my mom, happy Mother's Day, Mom, I love you so much, but I'm going to tell a story about you right now. Um, that I was told that because of the way my mom grew up in the abuse of the, the, the Holy Spirit, that when people spoke in tongues in a church, you weren't sure what they were saying, and so they could be blaspheming God. That was probably more demonic than anything. And I, I would agree that there are. Just because you're in a church doesn't mean that that's the things that go on there are um, from the Spirit of God. They can be demonic. But I grew up with the sense of, like, the Holy Spirit was a demon, basically. That was my mindset about the Holy Spirit. And so when I got saved, I, I had an improper fear of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. And I remember my wife and I went to my mother-in-law's church, and, and she was going to a four-square church at the time. And we, uh, we went to this church, and uh, we saw people raising their hands. And immediately, I was, like, so uncomfortable. And I started thinking, like, these people are demonically possessed. You know, they're raising their hands in worship. And, and it's like, what are they doing? Now I'm like this most of the time. But it was a misunderstanding. You see, I was deceived. I was told something that could be true, but it wasn't true if it was really the Spirit of God. And so it wasn't until I started studying the Bible and started to read the Bible for myself that I came across a passage that totally contradicts exactly what I was told. And in fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 is the verse. It says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God will ever say Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except uh, in the Holy Spirit. That verse right there brought so much clarity to my heart and to the deception that I had been told my whole life about the, the Spirit of God working in people's lives and that we had to make sure it wasn't demonic or anything like that. Well, this tells me that if anything said um, that, that a, Jesus is a curse, that it's not the Spirit of God. So I have to worry about that. And, and then I just things started to become clearer and clearer and clearer for me. The Holy Spirit will never speak against God. Some of you, I think, in this room right now are, are, are afraid, like I was. You're afraid of <laughs> what the Spirit of God might do in your life. You're, you're afraid to, to allow Him to um, work in your life because you've heard claims of of people who say the Spirit of God has caused them to shake uncontrollably or laugh hysterically or bark ridiculously, right? And so you're like, whoa, whoa, I don't want that in my life. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to draw any attention to myself. Well, good, because the Holy Spirit doesn't want to draw attention to himself either. He wants to draw attention to Jesus Christ, What's interesting to me is we have these gatherings of believers who come, who, who say they're believers and they come into a room and they do a lot of ridiculous things they call are from the Holy Spirit, but Jesus isn't elevated at all. That's not the Spirit of God. Listen to what this says, John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, 
But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Listen to this. He will glorify me. This is Jesus speaking. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit will not go off on tangents in the middle of a meeting with believers and, and um, somehow draw the attention away from Jesus Christ. That's not the Holy Spirit, folks. When the Holy Spirit begins to work, and don't think it's not miraculous, because it will be miraculous, and it might be a little odd. But here's the thing is, the point of what happens in that moment is that Jesus Christ is glorified. That is how we know what spirit we are speaking of. We know is it elevating Jesus Christ or is it elevating man? There is a, a, a dangerous line when the Spirit of God begins to work in people's lives. If it's really the Spirit of God, there's the danger of having spiritual pride. But listen, the Holy Spirit will always point us to Jesus. He's never going to point you to a man. Say, oh, you need to listen to that guy. You know, no, the Spirit of God will point you to Jesus Christ. So if, if he's using a man, he's going to point us to the Word of God, who Jesus is the Word. So he will point us into the right place to Jesus Christ himself, and he will glorify Jesus Christ. Many have damaged the name of the Holy Spirit by calling all these strange and bizarre acts his works. And they're not. What we see in the Bible is empowerment of the Spirit of God to do the work of ministry, to be his witnesses, not to entertain believers. Not to set up some sort of hierarchy in the church that says, oh, you have that gift, you're a little bit higher than me. Listen, we are singly flat-footed at the cross right now. Even though I'm here talking to you, I'm not greater than you, and no one else is greater than you. I don't care if it was Billy Graham or Greg Glory or anyone else. No man is elevated. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is great. He's the one that should be glorified, not a man. And you know that because you read the Bible. And yet so oftentimes we elevate man. You don't have to be afraid of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You should be afraid of the Holy Spirit not working in your life. So we need to have a paradigm shift in our fear because God's got not given you a spirit of fear. We just learned that. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There needs to be a shift in some of your hearts this morning that says, I'm not going to fear you know, the, the unknown and how the Holy Spirit will work in my life. I'm going to fear the fact that if he's not working in my life, that I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss the ministry that God has for me. That should be the fear. The fear of God. The fear of doing the will of the Lord in your life. Listen, the devil wants us to be afraid because he is afraid of the Spirit of God. He's afraid. Why do you think he's trying to deceive people about the Spirit of God? Why do you think that he's making, number one, he tries to defame the Word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, but then he tries to defame the Spirit of God, which is the power in you and I to go out and do the work of the ministry. Isn't that clever? But listen, when you have a proper understanding, you read the Bible, and you apply what it says in your life, you're going to know that, that it's going to point you to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit constantly. Everything you do has to be empowered by the Spirit of God. Walk not in the flesh, walk in the Spirit. Walk not in the flesh, walk in the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit of God will lead us into all truth. The Spirit of God will give us the ability to, to represent God in the right way in the moment that he calls us to do it. You don't even have to worry about what your spiritual gifts are. You just start walking in the Spirit of God. And he'll just start doing things in your life. You know, it, it's interesting to me how some people can teach people how to, how to have the spiritual gifts. Because a gift isn't something that's taught, it's something that's given. And what we can do is teach people how not to be afraid. But we cannot teach people how to use the Spirit of God in their life because, remember, 
He gives our giftings, not us. We don't choose that. Just like we don't appoint man to any kind of position in the church, he appoints, we just acknowledge what he's doing in somebody's life. Listen, we need to have a shift if we're afraid of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We need, we need to allow what Jesus said in John 16, 7 to set us free this morning. That it's to your advantage that he go away so that the helper, the Holy Spirit, can come and work in your life and empower you to be the witness that you're called to be in, in this life. That's our goal. Many people have fallen for the lie and allow the, uh, don't allow the Holy Spirit freedom to move because you're afraid that you're going to be possessed in some really weird way and draw attention to yourself. And again, that's not what the Scripture says. He's a gentleman. Just like Jesus is, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He's not going to bust the door down. If you don't want him in your life, it'll break his heart. But he will allow you to make that choice. He will allow you to live apart from him for all of eternity if that's what you choose to do. He will not force you because um, true love doesn't force relationship. True love doesn't force relationship. If you want to be in a relationship with God, he's given you the ability to do that. And in fact, he's gone way out of his way, like way out of his way to reveal to you the fact that he wants to be in relationship with you. He's pursued you over and over and over and over again, man. Even though you keep dissing him and you keep, you know, turning your back on him, man, he's right there. He's like, man, I love you so much. I don't care what you've done. I want to be in relationship with you. And here's my son, my crucified son. My son that I sent to die on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven. Here's my son. This is the only way that I can be in right relationship with you. But it is a way. It's the way. If you want to be in right relationship with me, you come through Jesus Christ. What a loving father he is. What an incredible, forgiving God. But he's a gentleman. He will not force himself on you. The Holy Spirit will not force himself on you. If you want to walk in the Spirit of God, you have to allow the Spirit of God power in your life. You have to allow him to do it. Everything that I've ever done in my life, empowered by the Spirit of God, there's, there's been a few times that I have had the willing choice to say no or yes to. And, and I, I have said no to the Holy Spirit a couple times. And it literally makes me sick to my stomach at times to think about what God could have done in that moment. One time a guy was in a wheelchair and I, I felt like the Lord said, you go and you take that man and you, you oh, I ain't doing that. There's not a, you no way I'm doing that. Are you crazy? What if I lift that dude up and he falls on the ground? Wait a second, whose focus was, who, who's the focus on there? Is it on Jesus or is it on me? Am I worried about what, what people are going to think of me or am I going to walk in faith and say, Jesus, hey, stand up? And I didn't do it. And now, it, it literally, every time I think about it, I go, he would have done it. How come I have the faith right now to know that? He would have done it. So many different examples I could give you of that, of those kinds of things. Because it's not about your lack of power. It's about his power working through you. We're just vessels, man. All the all the lines leading to these lights here, they're just simple carriers for the power that comes from that electrical box to light up these lights, and that's you and I. We're just vessels, man, that we allow the, the current of the Holy Spirit to run through, to illuminate at, at points in our life. Not to be afraid of that stuff. Let the, You have to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, and that's the problem. Because we fear man, and we're afraid, and that, that's exactly the issue. Jim Cimbala, he, he was, um, during Hurricane Sandy, he wrote a book. He, he's written a couple books on the Holy Spirit. I highly recommend, if you're, you have a lack of understanding of the Holy Spirit, that you read Fresh Wind, Fresh, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. There's also, he, he wrote a book called Storm um, that, that happened 
He wrote it after Hurricane Sandy hit New York in 2012. And he said the Lord gave him some real clarity about the problems that are going on in the church today. And he said, uh, he said basically the, the, the real issue is that the church is unplugged from its power source. When he was, when, when the hurricane had come down and he, he was up in his 26th floor apartment looking down on lower Manhattan, he had this to say. He said, the lights that always glowed from the financial district were gone. The power that physically and metaphorically lit the world had been cut off at the source. He goes on to say, it struck me that this could be the perfect metaphor for what is happening in the Christian church today. Is the light of Jesus that we are to shine before people growing dark? Has another kind of storm cut us off from our power source? Is the church of Christ appearing into a dark night? Our power source, the Holy Spirit, he'll never fail us, folks. But you know what? We can fail him by unplugging ourselves from his power. When we choose to rely on the, ourselves rather than the Holy Spirit, we are intentionally unplugging ourselves from the Spirit of God. Symbola goes on to say, I believe the followers of Jesus in America are on the cusp of something horrible. I and many others see the early warning signs all around. You may see them too. Are they seeing, are they seeing the same thing that A.W. Tozer saw, you know, 70 years before this? I think they are. I think what they're seeing, I think what Jim Symbol is referring to and, and what his book goes on to tell us is that uh, true, uh, that, that the Christian church, the modern church today is unplugged from the Holy Spirit. And we're trying to glorify the King of Heaven in, in the flesh on our own. And, and guess what? Nobody knows it. Nobody, everybody, man, my church is so awesome. Did you see the hot worship band they have? You know, dude, you see, they got smoke. They got lights. Dude, it's awesome. Um, hmm. What is it about? Is that about Jesus? I'm not saying it can't be about Jesus. But I'm just saying, is it about Jesus? That's the question you ask yourself when you walk into a church. Is this about Jesus? And not just the building and what happens in the building, but am I about Jesus? Am I here to glorify the King of glory? Am I here to elevate him? Or why am I here? Listen, true Christianity is fading fast. John Dickerson, um, in his book, Great Evangelistic Recession, relays the message that statistics are changing quickly. Eight out of ten Americans claim that they're Christian. By definition, only one in ten fit the description of an evangelical. Within 30 years, if something doesn't change, it will be more like one in 25 people. And do you want to see how true that is? Go over to Europe. You want to see how true that is? They have churches that have had the most powerful preachers in the last two or 300 years teach in pulpits that now host maybe 10 people because God is dead in Europe. How did that happen? The same way that it's going to happen here if people unplug from the Holy Spirit. Listen, there is a lack of transformation that is taking place in the church today. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is transformation to make us more like Jesus. And the people of God are not changing into the image of the Son of God. And in fact, according to a study done by Barna in 2012... 46% of churchgoers said, and I quote, their life had not changed at all as a result of churchgoing. Three out of five church attenders, 61%, said they could not remember a significant new insight gained by attending church services. Listen, if that doesn't rock you, listen to this. One third of those who have attended a church, have attended a church in the past have never felt God's presence while in a congregational setting. Wait a second, is this about Christ? Is he the center? You know, th that's what we're looking for. We're looking to come together in a congregational setting and to exalt Jesus Christ. And again, if, if this is what your discipleship consists of, then you're probably missing the boat, right? It should, this should be part of what 
you're doing on a regular basis to, do, to disciple yourself, to meet with people and disciple, to be discipled and to disciple people to get to know the Lord. But all of it leads back to the same place, the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. To, to, he is the teacher. We need him to understand truth. And so we need him to transform our lives. And, um, you know, I think that those statistics are true for a ton of churches, primarily because they don't teach the Bible. When, when you don't teach the Bible, what are we here to do? Listen to a good speaker? Well, you're at the wrong place for that. If, you, if you're not here to hear the Bible, then, or, 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 you know, if people don't come to church to hear the Bible, why are we gathering? What is the point? It's not a social club. This is supposed to be A, a hospital for sick people, but primarily it's supposed to be an equipping post for believers. And in fact, if you don't know our mission statement and what we're all about, it, 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 we believe that the church was formulated and, and that God gives us a definition of what that looks like in Ephesians chapter uh, 4 where he says, um, it really, verse, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, listen, verse 12, for this purpose, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is this all about? This is about you and I coming together People utilizing their giftings, building up the body until we come to the fullness, until Christ comes back to get us. So we continue to do this until the Lord comes back to get us. But we should be continuing to change, to become the fullness of Christ. That's the point. The point of it is that. That's why we gather together. That is the mission statement of our church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's what we believe we are called to do. That's, that's the scripture. But again, you can do that in the flesh, can't you? You can do that with this mental ascent, intellectual ascent to the Lord, and you can know a whole bunch about him. But if you don't know, let the Holy Spirit work in your life. And, and you know, you can have a form of godliness and deny its power. We need the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. If Paul were here in America today, I wonder if he would uh, be quoting Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you going to be made perfect by the flesh? The mentality of the modern church is we have to become like them. We don't have to become like them. And in fact, the world doesn't want you to become like them. The world wants you to be different than them. That's what the world is seeking. If we're not different inside these four walls, then uh, what's the draw for people? I, I can tell you, if we're not going to, if there's no change, then it's a lot funner out there, isn't it? For a season. But listen, we want to be different. We want to be changed. We want to be transformed. And man, what an incredible Mother's Day sermon, huh? Praise God for that. Thank you, Lord. It is because it's important. But we love the Lord and we put him first. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Therefore, go out from, the midst, from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. We're called to be separate so that people can see the difference. And if that isn't happening, then it just becomes a fleshly thing. And the neglect of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, unplugging from the power source, there can only be one source left, and that is the flesh. So that's the real problem. We have to take responsibility for it. The Holy Spirit must be what we rely on for everything we do inside and outside the church. If he isn't empowering the people of God to do the work of God, the fault doesn't lie with God. It lies with us. We have to do something different. Times are changing. I don't know if you guys are looking around, but we are, it's increasingly becoming more difficult to be a Christian in our culture. And if we're not empowered by the Spirit of God, what will happen is we'll find ourselves just going with the flow. And when you read the book of Acts, these guys weren't going with the flow. 
You know, we're, we're, we don't go against the grain to go against the grain. But we go against culture when it goes against the Bible. Right? And you, you cannot, at this stage of the game, in some way, shape, or form, going to be going against the culture if you're a biblical Christian. You can't. You, you're going to be going against the grain. And so times are changing incredibly fast. And, and we're dealing with things, you know, that were kind of under the surface, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years ago. But now they're blatantly open, wide open, and, you know, the, and, and now we're the bad guys. I just saw a guy on um, a pastor, um, I, I think he was in Toronto, that just got arrested because he was telling people to go to church and to worship. You're like, well, I've always had my suspicions about that Canadian place anyway, so, you know, I understand that. Listen, that's America. That's happening in America, too. If you saw our Facebook post earlier this week, Ken Graves, pastor at Calvary Chapel, Bangor, Maine, is uh, they're going um, up to the Supreme Court. They took their case. Their governor of their state has said they can't worship. And so they filed a lawsuit against their governor and their state, and they, it's going to the Supreme Court, uh, I think, in a week. This, this coming next week, I think it's the 12th. Um, and they're asking for ch the church to pray and to fast because this is bigger than just their church. This affects the entirety of the church. And here, here are people walking by the Spirit of God, teaching the Word of God, who are just, you know, going to stand up and say, well, listen, we're going to worship God. We're not trying to be rebellious, but we're going to worship God. And um, they're following the legal, the legal flow that lives within our land. They're, they're following the system that's put into our, put into, that we live under, just like Paul followed the system that he was under during the day, and he appealed to Caesar, and he did the same thing. They're doing the same thing. Paul never stopped preaching the gospel, by the way. And these guys aren't, these guys are continuing to worship God, but, but he's asking us to pray and fast that, that, God, that, that God somehow make a ruling in the Supreme Court that it affect the entirety of the church, not just his church. You know, that God's, God make a stand for the church here, and that's his prayer. And so I would invite you to be praying and, and fasting for that because it's a serious thing. But listen, at the end of the day, um, the, when Jesus told his disciples that it was to their advantage that he'd go away, they, he was telling them that hard things were coming. He was telling them that, you know, there was going to be difficult times ahead and all this kind of stuff. And he was just saying, you guys, I'm going to give you an empowerment. I'm going to give you um, the, the Spirit of God in your life to help you navigate through that. And I think it's increasingly more important for you and I as believers in this culture to make sure that we're walking by the Spirit of God. Because there are tons of conversations that are being had, and I promise you, like, it, 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 I know you're just, you, we're all the same. We all struggle with the same thing, the fear of man idea. And when certain subjects come up, we're not saying anything. Even when the Holy Spirit prompts us to say something, we're like, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to love that person enough to say that. You know, and, and that's, the, that's the reality. Not only that, but, you know, we're not living for this world, man. We're living for the, the next world. And so we need to be the vessels of honor. Not disruptive for, on purpose. But listen, there's a battle going on. And we need to walk in the Spirit of God. And that's going to continue to go on. And, and you know, <laughs> you, some of you guys are like from California. You're like, well, that's why we moved here. But anyways, <laughs> hey, I promise you there is no safe place, right? There's one safe place. It's our hiding place. He's a strong tower. Those who run to him are safe, right? We run to the Lord, and we, we walk in the empowerment of the Lord in this world and we don't worry about the consequences of that. But we got to walk by the Spirit. Listen, time is short. And, um, you know, we know that at the end of the day, um, I think anybody who studies prophecy knows that 
The United States is not in the Bible when it comes to that. So what happens to us? Who knows? We hope that it's the rapture and that we're taken home. But, but if it's not, hey, you know what? We just need to be the witnesses we're called to be. There were 12 dudes 2,000 years ago who listened to what Jesus said. They walked in obedience to his word. And look what happened. Look what happened. What can God do with you? You know, if you're here today and you're struggling with like, man, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing and all this kind of stuff. Just, just start relying on the Spirit of God and walking in the Spirit of God. Just start doing what you're called to do. This Bradley family, man, they're walking in the Spirit. They're getting ready to take off in ministry. Their whole family's going on a missions. Pray for them. Make sure you pray for them. That's what walking in the Spirit means. We're not living for this world. Marty, the Beerhoffs are in process of looking to um, potentially uh, relocate to Africa and missions work. You know, there's, God is doing stuff, you know. And, and here's the thing is, that I want to close with this. I read a ton of stories about Calvary Chapel guys. Back in the day when Pastor Chuck, you know, brought all these hippie dudes into this church, discipled them and sent them back out. And I hear these miraculous Holy Spirit stories where God transforms you know, people's lives as they go out and they do the work of the ministry. I read about those stories and I, I don't want to just read about them. I want to have my own stories to tell and I hope you do too. Listen, what is hindering the Spirit of God from doing that? Does God not want to revive the world? Does he not want to, does he not want to um, awaken people to the reality? Is there special moments in the world where he's like, okay, well, I'm going to wait. No, he, he's at work always to do that. Always. We're not waiting for a movement to happen. We are the movement. We need the Spirit of God to come down, and we need to go out into the world and be that light to people. I don't want to read. It's awesome. I love to read about the book of Acts because it is the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, not the Acts of the Apostle. But I want to see the Holy Spirit move in my life like that. And you know what's hindering him? Me. Me. I'm the only thing that's hindering the Holy Spirit from moving miraculously in my life. And I would say the same for you. You know, so there are only two responses here today. The response to repent of not allowing the Spirit of God the proper place in your life and surrendering yourself to the Holy Spirit and saying, I'm opening myself up to whatever you want to do, Lord. Those are the two responses this morning. I don't know where you are. I don't know what God's doing in your life. You know, maybe you're, you are walking in obedience to the Lord. Well, let's further surrender this morning to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever the rest of my life looks like, I want it to be saturated in your spirit. I want your spirit to lead me in everything that I do. And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, man, Lord, I'm feeling really convicted this morning. Well, you know why he convicts us, right? Not because he wants us to feel bad. He convicts us because he wants us to change. And he wants us to turn the other way and go the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. And so the church, as we, if we will we'll, we'll do that, we'll, we'll say, Lord, I'm sorry for not walking in your spirit and allowing you to lead and do that. You know, that, that opens up that fellowship with God. And he wants us to do that this morning. So I don't know where you are. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Christ at all this morning. And you're here and you're saying, man, what is this guy even talking about? Listen, I promise you that if you will come to Christ this morning and you will give him your life, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't know what you don't have until you have it. So the Lord wants, I don't even know if that made sense, but it sounded good to me. But listen, the Lord wants you this morning to be in relationship with him. If you're not in relationship with him, you come to him this morning. And you just say, Lord, I want my sins forgiven. I want to be changed and transformed. And I want to live in the empowerment of your spirit this morning. And he will come in. Listen, the, the altar will be open. Worship team, you guys can come up. The altar will be open. You can come down and you can pray or, you know, you can pray with people. There'll be people down here. You can just surrender yourself to the Lord. You can sit in your seat. You can raise your hands. You can do whatever the Lord tells you to do. Whatever he leads you to do. But here's what I would say. Don't do nothing. Don't do nothing this morning. Let this be the, the, the line in the sand that you're drawing in your own life this morning to say, you know what, Lord? More of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. I want the Spirit of God to move more in my life. Amen? Will you pray with me, Father? We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your grace.
You are so good to us. Lord, you're so loving and compassionate and patient with us, Lord. You are just so forgiving. You love us so much more than we even understand, Lord. And we just want to take a moment and acknowledge that about you this morning, Lord. That you're so good. And we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. Everything we do is a response, Lord. And here we find ourselves this morning with a moment of response to what Jesus said to his disciples 2,000 years ago that applies to us even to this day. That it was to, to our advantage that Jesus go away, that the Holy Spirit would come and live inside of us and empower us to be the witnesses into our world. Father, you know every heart in this place this morning. You know those who don't belong to you. You know those who do belong to you. You know those who are walking in the flesh and struggling. And you know those who are walking in your spirit and just, just want more. And we just thank you, God, that you are a God that wants to meet us where we are. That you want to take us behind the woodshed, Lord. You want to meet us face to face as the, the father did the prodigal. You want to scoop us up in your arms this morning. And you want to tell us, man, I, I love you so much. Let's work on this. And so we ask you for your Holy Spirit right now to fall in this place. Holy Spirit, we ask for forgiveness. for not allowing you the proper place in our lives. Will you fill us this morning? Will you baptize us afresh? Will you give us power, Lord, to be witnesses in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our families, everywhere that we would go, Lord? I pray that it would be said of us as it was said of John and Peter by the Pharisees that they knew that they had been with Jesus. May the world know that we're with you, Lord. Fall on us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.